In 2019, the number two priority for U.S. marketers is to demonstrate how their marketing strategies align with business objectives. Are you curious what brand marketers ranked as their number one priority? Well, Zaxxis commissioned a survey of 1,000 marketers in the United States responsible for digital ad spending. Download Measuring Success, the new Zaxxis report, to find out what U.S. marketers are prioritizing over the next two years. Just visit Zaxxis.com right now to download the report. That's X-A-X-I-S dot com. If you look around the industry, you will see that many publishers find Snapchat a nice-to-have but not a must-have platform. But Vertical Networks, a digital content company founded by Elizabeth Murdoch, is betting on Snapchat as showing the way to the future of mobile programming. I'm Brian Marcy, and this is the Digiday Podcast. Today, I'm joined by Jesus Chavez, the CEO at Vertical Networks. Jesus and I talk about whether Snapchat needs its own House of Cards-style hit and the opportunity with Jeffrey Katzenberg's new venture, Quibi. Hope you enjoy it. Jesus, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Happy to be here. So you're three months in now um, as CEO of Vertical Networks. For those who do not know, explain Vertical Networks. Yeah, we're a, we're a digital media company really focused against premium mobile content. Um, you know, our whole thesis is that we see a lot of companies to date, a lot of media companies who look at mobile as a point of distribution, not a point of consumption. So a lot of the content that's out there is, is really being built to be consumed in much bigger screens. For us, our whole, our whole sort of strategy is about thinking about mobile as a place where especially younger audience like Gen Z audiences, that is the, that is the screen. It's not a screen for in between or while they get to a 52-inch monitor or, or television. Uh, it's really about engaging them in that moment. And I think part of what makes it different for us is that when you think of the world that way, you have to think about content that has to compete against everything that's on that person's phone. So the level of attention required, the level of action required in that content is very, very different in order for you to keep their attention because you're competing against everything, texts, you know, DMs, alerts, whatever may be the case. Right. So we think of the world that way. So founded by Elizabeth Murdoch. Correct. About two and a half years ago? About two and a half years ago. So she, you know, obviously had a lot of success with Shine. Right. And really thought about building a- Shine, I'm sure everyone knows, but they they did a lot of reality TV. Correct. um, Master Chef was one of theirs. Big Brother, I think, was another another one of theirs. Obviously, just did great in terms of reality TV, unscripted. Big IP, um, and really the idea was to how to do that specifically for mobile. So then also brought that opportunity and had uh, Snapchat also be an investor, minority investor in the company as well. Okay, so you've got about ten programs at this uh, point. Shows themselves about shows. ten. We have so basically the company is broken up into two core areas as it relates to content. One is our daily social brands that we that we publish. Uh, biggest one is is called Brother. It's right. uh, think of it of a how to do life from an older brother point of view. So we get to cover a lot of different topics. Uh, does very well with male. Does actually extremely well for females as well. So, and then we have another another brand called Mindsy, uh, which is a little more gamified uh, type of experience. Uh, in addition to that, we do uh, ten. We've done about ten original shows, uh, both for Snapchat and for uh, mm-hmm. Facebook. But you, I mean, Vertical Network started really closely aligned with Snapchat. I mean, Snapchat is Correct. an investor, and. Um, and most of the programming was geared for Snapchat. And, and I think, you know, in my mind, that's actually the reason why, you know, we were able to br- you know, build this type of really mobile IQ because in some ways, out of necessity, there was no other expression of the brand in any other format or platforms. We really had to think of the world, what does it take to engage people that are only consuming this content on mobile? So it built a lot of discipline internally of how to be able to build that kind of content. I think the part that made it unique and why I was really interested in the company 
is uh, well, we had uh, we've had a lot of success in driving audience through the daily social publishing, but really what that is for us is sort of, we sort of see it twofold. Obviously as a way to build audience, but more importantly as a way for us to be able to ideate, to incubate ideas, to create proof points mm-hmm. of what formats work that we could then develop into actual shows. So by the time something gets to a show for us, it's been stressed test quite a bit uh, from what we do in the, in, the, in the daily content to actually creating what we consider these franchises, mm-hmm. which is sort of, sort of a more narrative style of, of storytelling as a proof of concept, if we see traction there, they those then get to get you know be, be developed into actual shows themselves. Mm-hmm. Is Snapchat a good place for programming? I think it's a great place for audience for Gen Z audiences. I mean, the one thing I would say about Snapchat is they but, they, but they're coming there mostly to communicate with fellow Gen Z. Right. So I think the the, the genesis of the platform was definitely as a communication tool, uh, which is part of the reason why they obviously have done very well with that audience and, and keep a very high level of engagement. You know, as they're shifted to, and I think even them investing in a company like ours two and a half years ago was a sign that they valued content specifically, and specifically, I would say premium content, uh, which is for me, I think, a really important place for us to be engaged in because we do see great performance in the content we're creating organically with this audience. So do I think it's a good place? I think it's a great place for creating mobile content. I think it's a great place for us to engage with an audience, which is Gen Z audience that I'm really interested in. Mm-hmm. So therefore, it's an important place for me to be part of. What's the difference of programming for Snapchat versus programming for Facebook? Uh, I think when you, when you think about those different platforms, a lot of what, what I think about is what is the intent of people coming to those platforms for? What are the content they're competing for? And then more importantly, how are they discovering that content? It's a very different experience when you think about Facebook, where even in the case of Facebook Watch, the majority of consumption is happening through the feed itself, as opposed to uh, Snapchat, which to your point, people are coming sort of for two primary purposes. One is communication. The second mm-hmm. is, is what's on Discover. But they're opting have. into a programming experience. It's not like, um, I don't know, like here in our office, you can walk by a TV and Bloomberg is, is playing, but it's not the it's not the same as going and well, onto your that, couch that's right. and so putting in, it on. In Facebook, you're sort of, um, you know, it's about what catches your attention as you're scrolling through. And that's what drives obviously a lot of the, the audience and, and engagement that happens there. Um, in the case of of, uh, of Snapchat, people actually have to opt into that, click into that content. So we so a lot of our storytelling is really geared towards making sure that the moment someone clicks in, they stay engaged and really give people a reason to stay all the way through that through that experience. So I think a lot of it is really driven by mm-hmm. by the by the platform itself. Does it complicate matters that Snapchat uh, is a part owner and that um, you'll probably want to diversify into other platforms? Uh, I don't think it does. I mean, in essence, once again, I think the value of being a company that was initially started in Snapchat is that we got really good at mobile content. I think in order for us to be a good partner of Snapchat, we have to be a company that sustains itself. Uh, I think in this day and age, it's really hard to think of any company that could be successful, or digital media company within a single platform. You have plenty of people here on on your podcast that talk about their woes in, in Facebook or whether it's or any of those, as a matter of fact, that was even YouTube for that matter. Uh, so I think it's important for us to be a company that if we're going to be successful, we have to be successful mm-hmm. on our own. Uh, and the more successful we are on our own, the more su- better partner we can be with, with a partner like, like Snapchat. We'll be back after this quick break. 2019 is almost here. Do you know what brand marketers are thinking about? What are they going to prioritize next year? What changes are they going to make to their digital media investments? Find out the answer to all of these questions and many more. Download Measuring Success, the new Zaxis report, to find out what U.S. marketers are prioritizing over the next two years. Visit Zaxis.com right now to get the report. That is X-A-X-I-S dot com. Okay, so right now, 
most of the programming is on Snap. Correct. But you are moving on to that Facebook. Is actually, that's a big part of why I, I came to the company is is the idea is leveraging the the really the momentum that we've built um, in creating mobile specific content and then expand that into other platforms ac- across the board. So I know that you know the stock price is is not is not your um, ballywick or anything like that. But Snapchat it, it gets I don't know. There's kind of like two views of Snapchat. You know, you you can read plenty of sort of outsiders who have a, an incredibly negative view that's like, well, this is not going to work. They're they're getting swamped by Instagram. Um, insert a chart. But then you get the the most downloaded apps and and. List, That's right, and it's always you know Snapchat is like I think the number two. And one of one of some of the first apps, especially for younger people that they download, is actually right. Snapchat. Um, and there's always going to be a gulf because a lot of the people you know writing about these kind of things are not the people who are using Snapchat. Like, right, I'm not like an active Snapchat user myself, so I will confess that. Are you seeing as much engagement on Snapchat now as you were a year ago for your programming? I think the. I would say yes, but the but the reality is the amount of content that's in Snapchat is significantly more now than it was a year ago. Yeah, it's harder. So it is harder, right? So from that standpoint, um, that becomes one of the challenges that we have to obviously constantly deal with is making sure that uh, the audience that we continue to gain and the audience that we continue to engage with, we have to be even more disciplined about the types of content we create for them, which is why the dynamic that I explained earlier, how we use our sort of daily brands as a way to really incubate the IP mm-hmm. that we're building out. It's a really important, and I think it is a point of differentiation for us because if we didn't do that, then you really are sort of tied to whatever that n- the next idea comes in and, and you're hoping a little bit across your fingers that it actually works, that engages audiences. So yes, the environment is more, you have a lot more content there, so you have to be a lot more disciplined about what actually works there. Uh, but in terms of the actual engagement, a show like, for example, with, with Phone Stop, which is one of the properties that we have, which is a reality dating show, the whole premise is really simple. Basically, within the first minute or two of a blind date, the persons have to swap phones with each other. And you can immediately imagine all that happens in terms of they, they look at the phone. Terrifying. Terrifying. Uh, and then based on what's on their phone, they decide whether or not to continue the date. Well, that's a show that was initially developed uh, for Snapchat. We're now, we, as a matter of fact, just last week, we just premiered the fourth season of that show on Snapchat. It has done... Very, very well this entire time. Mm-hmm. I, w- I would say even from that, we're probably one of a very small group of of of, uh, of brands or uh, of publishers that are actually past shows recurring, mm-hmm. you know, for for that many seasons. And, and let, let's just stay on on Phone Swap. Um, mm-hmm. As I did watch Phone Swap this morning, um, it was it was it was good. Sure. I'm not the audience, but it was it was it was good. I see. I got the concept immediately. Right. It's, you know, it's a known, you know, dating shows do well. It's a modern twist on it. It, it works in, in vertical. Um, a show like that, like, what does it cost to produce per episode? I mean, those shows vary, but we obviously, when you, when you talk about creating content for, for digital platforms, they have to be lower in cost. I mean, you have yeah. to be very efficient in terms of how do you create that. Uh, for us, they've sort of ranged in that sort of 20 to 40 grand, depending on the format itself, um, in terms of that, the actual cost per episode. Okay, so y- you have to get the cost base low enough at this point on a platform like like Snapchat because it's it's not TV. You're not getting TV money. Well, yeah, and yet. I think that's the case. Yeah. Not yet. We'll say not yet. yet. <laughs> you, know, you know, but for us, it's actually I, I see it sort of twofold. Uh, part of the of our thesis as well for creating this type of content, these formats, is we want to create formats that can be incubated with a digital that can be successful there. But they have legs to expand into other places. So right? IP so, and then correct. You... So it is a very IP-driven okay. driven approach. Uh, in the case of PhoneSwap, uh, for example, is 
while the Snapchat version is about a four to five minute in length per episode version, and once again, did very well. We have four four seasons of it. We've also developed a 22 minute version of that show, which we ended up licensing as a local syndication run for the Fox Television Group. Ran in uh, eight markets, 15 episodes, and did very, very well. So that is a format that, while Mm -hmm. very successful on digital, can continue to be very successful on digital, it has sort of a legs to be able to expand to a bigger universe, and we see it as an opportunity to continue to expand. There's there's not like a big, and just because it's new, but uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but there's not a big track record for for five-minute programming to be made into 22-minute programming. That is correct. There isn't, right? But that is part of what we see as the path going forward. So give me the case for mobile being a, yes, it has to be shot vertical. Agreed. Um, But why does, why does it require, why does it require being natively you know, native right. storytelling for native programming for mobile versus adapted for mobile or adapted for any screen because we are going yeah. between various screens. That is, that's fair. So I, I think of it a couple of different ways. One is, uh, yes, the vertical piece does matter, right? And it's about intentionality. So for us, when we're creating content for mobile that is going to be viewed vertical, we actually f- literally flip our cameras and shoot it vertical. Now, we could cut it down from horizontal, like LiPo do, but let me give you a little bit of a more of an example. So I'm sure you read that you know when people sometimes lose a limb, they have these what are called phantom limbs, right? They think it's still there. I think of that way of content. If you've ever seen a trailer for a film, as an example, on Instagram, and you see that it got cut down, it's like your mind could almost see yeah. the parts that are missing, right? And the reason for that is because that con- you're viewing a content that was not meant to be viewed in yeah. that specific ratio. That's a yeah, really simple, a simple way to think about it. Basketball highlights drive me crazy. Because the right. highlight is like all of a sudden the one thing that gets cut off is the basket. Th- that's right. Right. And uh, I would even think if we want to do a really old school example, <laughs> is you think about when you know you would have films going to television back in the day, you could yeah, always yeah. see you know, it gets sort of compressed or cut down. Well, that's sort of the simple one. But I think it's also about you have to rethink storytelling for mobile. And the reason for that is that you know, when you really do, are thinking about, uh, you know, I think of television viewing as both a primary and secondary viewing experience. And what I mean by that is I'm probably the worst at viewing television. I'll sit there and within two seconds, I'm looking at my phone and I miss whatever's happened. Right. Constantly having to rewind. Well, if that content was being viewed on mobile, you've lost me. The second you lose a level of interest with a person on that phone, they have plenty of other things to do with it within their phone. Mm-hmm. So it, if you don't adjust for that, if you don't address that within the actual storytelling themselves itself, then you really are going to lose the engagement that is required to keep someone active within a very crowded and very busy environment, which is a mobile phone that has a lot of different options. So it really does make you rethink storytelling in general. We think of, of, of looking at creating content that has rising action, that has a reason for people to stay all the way through the end you don't have the time to be able to sort of get into storytelling to develop mm-hmm. it out especially for the for the length of content that we're talking about now that doesn't mean that you're not going to have high quality premium content viewed on mobile things from like Netflix a house of cards or orange is new black of course you're going to have that but for the types of shows that we're creating for content that is that is going to be shorter in length i do think that there is a, a massive opportunity for us to rethink that you have to think about this audience of consuming that content, not as a place sort of in between until they get to a bigger screen, but really the place where they're actually consuming the content. And I think it's really important when you think about audiences that we're focused on, like a Gen Z audience. Um, we've both been around this industry for long enough to, to remember some things. I can remember when web video was starting to, to be webisodes were like a right. thing with, with Yahoo and AOL. Um, and there was always this 
this belief that there needed to be a, a I'm going to totally date myself, an yeah. I love Lucy moment for it to be taken real. And, and there was always this problem because the amount of budgets that were going into um, web video at the time were not sufficient to Correct. make that kind of hit mm-hmm. program. And there was always the, 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 the reply was, well, you know, it's the web, it's different, long tail, blah, blah, blah. It's, sure. they, they just need focus, smaller audience. Does mobile video need, I'm going to like move beyond I Love Lucy, let's say a House of Cards moment, because like Netflix was taken seriously when they finally had a hit. Correct. Does there have to be a House of Cards of mobile? Uh, I mean, it's that's, I think, a pretty big bar to try to hit uh, right from the get-go. I do think that the the way that at least the bet that I'm making on, on why I think this company is really important is that I do think that the industry as a whole will continue to uh increase the importance of premium mobile content and even the budget associated with that and the sort of economics around creating better quality content for mobile. Because today, when we think about mobile content, we sort of think of it two form. One is sort of snackable content Mm -hmm. or very short form. Well, to me, both of those things kind of equate to cheap and disposable content. To me, it's it's really about creating the right level of attention, right level of content and narrative that can keep the attention of people when they're consuming Mm -hmm. it within a mobile phone. And I think the economics will continue to increase. And you're seeing that with folks like Quibi coming on board with Snapchat going into a lot more original shows. That's, that's Jeffrey Katzenberg's correct. effort. Um, I think IGTV is going to get there as well. I, I just think we're in a point, of, in a moment in time where there will continue to be economics mm-hmm. going into the system that will that will facilitate for more premium content specifically meant to be consumed on mobile. Right. And based but on that success that the, we have, I think we're, we could be at the forefront of that conversation. Yeah, but that is the sort of spreadsheet thing. But there's a cultural component. Like at some point, like, don't you need to have like a cultural moment? Sure. Like mobile video. I think that like, helps a lot. Where, Absolutely, yeah. You know, maybe it's not everyone here in this office, but maybe everyone in the middle school is talking about right. is talking about a program. I think so as well. And I think it, it comes in waves. I mean, even in the case of uh, of YouTube, right? You know, it was a company that was a platform known mostly for cat videos, but then they started to get these really massive so audience with these influence or dogs remember, on skateboards. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> uh, and then started getting these massive audience with these content creators that were it was just a different style of storytelling for right. that kind of platform. And so I agree. I agree with so you. So will it evolve like that? Do you think like like the YouTube ecosystem has evolved in which there are enormous stars in in the YouTube world, but at the same time they're almost um, you know for the outside world, i.e., the non-teen world, um, it's just something totally different. Right, I, I think it's. I think more in terms of formats that are, rather than people. Um, to me, the the move towards more premium mobile will be more about the types of formats that work mm-hmm. as mobile specific formats, as opposed to the people that will so be. So not just successful. like influencers. Not just influencers, correct? Okay, I want to take a quick break here to encourage you again to join our membership program, Digiday Plus. With Digiday Plus, you get access to all Digiday stories. Some are just for members, along with special newsletters and access to Digiday research. We have a research panel of over 6,000 professionals in media and marketing, and we are delivering unique insights from that panel regularly. For instance, we recently polled 182 ad buyers on whether uh, the recent privacy scandals at Facebook, and I know it's hard to keep up with all of them, would affect their ad spending decisions. No surprise that 62% said they would abs- these scandals would absolutely not affect their ad spending decisions. Head to Digiday.com right now, go to the Digiday Plus tab, and then enter podcast at checkout, and you will get 20% off a membership. I promise you it is worth it. Also, if you subscribe before Friday, 
you will get the new issue of Digiday Magazine, our year in preview, which features a big essay I wrote on how in 2019 we will continue to see the hollowing out of the digital media middle class. We also have a lot of other uh, great content in there, including an interview with New York Times CEO Mark Thompson. It's a good issue. Please do uh, check it out and subscribe. That is digiday.com, and then you'll see the Digiday Plus tab. And again, it is podcast, uh, the discount code at checkout for 20% off. What is a good, what's a good night or a good day or a good episode and audience wise for Phone Swap? Uh, it really has varied, uh, but that's a show that could do 7 million uniques per episode. Is that good? It is good, yes. Okay. Because yes. so everyone always tells me, uh, you know, numbers and then I always ask, is that good? Yeah, that's Because good. I don't know what, um, so how do you compare 7 million, let's say 7 million start an episode it's a five minute episode well that'd be that that'd be the total for that for that episode total uh u- unique uh users for that episode right um so they you see what percentage of that they're actually completing is that what yeah, you're yeah. getting at? and i'm just trying to get at like how do we compare that you know to an audience for uh linear programming which yeah is typically longer you, you can i I don't know. I'm guessing that the mobile activity, um, there's a lot of people that bounce really quickly. Yeah, so I think a lot of that for us is making sure that we're doing storytelling that really gets people to stay really quickly. Now, that is is a specific format that does very well for us. So mm-hmm. an average uh, episode will do, um, I think, over, over two minutes, like two like yeah, a little bit two or two minutes of average viewing time on that episode. On an episode mm-hmm. that we're talking about, maybe about four minutes, about half of that on average people are actually watching that, that you know that that show. So it does very very well. It does a good thing, a good job of keeping audience engaged all the way through, even if the percentage of those do drop off, as it, as it does for any 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 kind of content. Okay, how do you make money? I think for us it's sort of a couple of things. So that's also part of the reason why why I'm why I'm here, right? Really, when I came to the company, there were sort of three primary purposes, uh, or, or yeah, at least in terms of focus. One was as we mentioned, is taking the success that we had in, in creating content for for a Snapchat as a platform and then leveraging that mobile IQ and expanding to other places. That means more platforms, more brands across the board. Number two really is about sort of this IP conversation that we've been having, right? We strongly believe that you know, we're in a time of place that there will be more opportunities for mobile specific content. And I think our spe- uh, experience in, in understanding those those environments will really benefit us in being mm-hmm. in the forefront of that conversation. So that's it's a lot about, about a lot yeah. more IP that we can generate. I think and I know, piece, and I'm sure, like I, I get to the third, but I, I'm sure Elizabeth Murdoch is very well aware of the IP um, component, and particularly with international licensing. Oh, of course, yes, yeah. yes, yes. Okay. Go on. Um, and the third one is uh, really monetization, right? So today, most of our monetization has been third-party driven, right? So from the platforms themselves, we've had some other uh, rep- representation deals for for driving. So uh, Snapchat ad sells, or no, right, no so, Fox sells for you guys. So we've had a, 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 um, a partnership with Fox to sell some some digital uh, revenue for us. We also get revenue, obviously, from the platform like a Snapchat in yeah. terms of uh, uh, for content that we're producing there. Uh, as a revenue share, so that's fine. That's fine for us. We, what we believe is that if we want to be able to capture the premium value of both our audience and content, and really more importantly, our intelligence that we're building out in terms of how to engage this audience, then we have to have a direct arm of monetization that we built out. So part of the, what I'm doing now is is putting together a brand partnerships team mm-hmm. that is going to be taking all of our content audience to market especially as we continue to diversify yeah. into, into different places. So, so c- the revenue streams are going to be advertising, the, uh, some of which will be third-party or platform-driven, uh, some of which will be direct, of course, but, you know, based on these teams that we're building out. Uh, content licensing, of course, as we continue to take this IP into other places. We're obviously very active in, 
and, and pitching opportunities to to folks that want to be able to pick mm-hmm. up content that we've, that we've created. Um, and then at some point, we will start to look at also direct-to-consumer. So a program like PhoneSwap is profitable? Yes. Okay. So that is... Because I... There are people who have come on this podcast. I think we had Andrew Morris from from CNN just uh, the other week, and you know they stopped doing their um, Snapchat. I think it was the Discover um, because they weren't able to to make the economics work, right? And they didn't see a path to that. Um, but the economics can work. The economics can work if you have enough scale. Now we've happened to have enough scale that it definitely works. Having said that, as you continue to invest in IP, then you know when you're in a startup mode, it's sort of this constant mm-hmm. balance, right? Of your, yes, you want to be profitable and stay close to profitability. You want to also continue to grow the business, so sure. you have to have sort of this balancing act. Uh, and for us, it is that, right? If it was simply a social publishing, which we've done to date, um, that business unit within itself is and can, can continue to be profitable on its own. The challenge with that, and and we know that there's been enough businesses that are that are basically that that eventually. Uh, can happen because they're so dependent on whatever platform dynamics happen wherever they're operating that those can significantly impact their profitability as a company and, and not, not continue to move forward. So, which is why the IP piece is so important for us. Now, when we have a successful show, yes, those could be profit on their own, but I think the part that we're looking at is more sort of the longer play is that if we're able to take multiple windows of this content, create digital versions, create linear versions, uh, it creates more opportunities for us to be able to monetize mm-hmm. the content that we're creating. Uh, are you surprised Instagram has not moved faster I- into integrating programming into the experience? A, a little bit. I, I, you know, when the announcement came out, it uh, it felt like it was going to be a pretty aggressive push. The uh, IGTV from the, one? IGTV, correct. Yeah. Um, and it definitely seemed very geared towards um, um, against like YouTube a little bit, as a matter of fact. Yeah. Uh, so it is a little surprising that they haven't gone there yet. Um, obviously, I don't have any insights to why, well, what is the reason. But I do think that they're seeing the same trends that I think we're all sort of seeing, that the importance of, of thinking about uh, uh, content specifically or premium content within a, a mobile mobile experience. So I don't doubt that they're going to get there uh, soon enough. I know I've read a couple of things about mm-hmm. them starting to make some moves there. So I'm pretty hopeful that, that that happens. I think the moment that they're ready for that, I think we're in a great position to be successful yeah. with them as well. How important is, uh, this is, we're at the end of the year and you know a lot has, has been written here and elsewhere about platform dependency. And a lot of sure. people um, you know, made bets on platforms. And, and to be fair, their businesses were enabled by these platforms. Their businesses would not have existed without these platforms. Absolutely. Um, but then at the end, you know, uh, things uh, came to tears um, and some fingers got pointed uh, at platforms, um, not necessarily even by outsiders. I mean, the, the companies themselves blamed uh, the platform. Mike just shut down and they, they put it squarely yeah. on Facebook for pulling the plug on, um, on this uh, program that they had. How do you use the platforms to reach these, these, these audiences and at the same time to... I'm use a terrible word, like de-risk. Right. Uh, I think it's, well, I, I do think it's a little bit unfair to put all the blame on the platforms. I think the reality is in any kind of business that you're building now, when you have a single line of dependency, it's a, it's a problem. It's eventually going to be a problem, even if it's very good for you for a long time. So I think part of the risking to your point is about diversification. I do think that the relationship with the platform needs to be, in the way that we're looking at sort of twofold, one is obviously audience development is a really important thing having a, a, a connection with that audience. And the reality is those audiences are on those platforms, so you have to play with those places. But sort of the second piece, which is really important, is what are you able to learn in that connection with that audience that you can then leverage into other places that you could capitalize on? And 
the way that that's been most reflective with us, at least to date, has been on developing this IP, is in testing out these concepts, see what actually works with this audience, and then we can turn into into really properties that we have more ability to be able to monetize in multiple places. So that's at least what we've done to date. You know, other place, other folks have done obviously the direct the direct to consumer route. Think about commerce as a way to be able to engage and activate and and try to merchandise some of some of their efforts and, and and really create additional revenue lines. I think that's all fine and dandy. I think the the reality is is having a diversified point of view of how you build out these digital media companies because otherwise. It's just, you know, the platform sneezes and you catch a cold, right? Or it's right. pneumonia and you're dead, right? Yeah. So it's, so I think that's the the, the challenge that I see. And, and, you know, to some extent, when I came into this company, there was some of that, of course, because it's so uh, dependent and, and really tied to what's happening with Snapchat. I think the good thing, though, is that success that we've had there shows our ability. It's really more about the approach that we've taken today to understand this audience, to create this content. And that's what I'm banking on and our ability to be successful in a lot of other places. Uh, so you're going to have a very well-funded, um, although not as well-funded as he had planned, rival with Quibi. Um, still getting my my head around that 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 name. Um, they they don't have. But program- Quibi is not a rival. Just they're just not a rival. Play. No, because I see Quibi as an opportunity, not as a rival. Why right? explain that? Because Quibi is really not a platform that's going to require a lot of original content. We are a digital studio that creates a lot of content. So for us, I see them as an opportunity for yeah, us. So you to see them as like a partner. Correct. Absolutely. Okay, not absolutely. necessarily. No, as... not, not, not as a competitor. Okay. But do you think that, is that going to validate this, this area more? I think that's, that is part of the trend going forward. Now, I also think it'd be extremely unfair to both put it as, as the litmus test of both success or failure. Meaning that if Quibi doesn't work out for whatever reason, I don't believe that that means that premium content is not a good idea for mobile. Mm-hmm. Having said that, I do think it's a great signal in this direction that we're talking about, about the market starting to validate and, and really recognize the importance of mobile-specific content. Mm-hmm. So I do see them as a signal over that. Uh, but I, I will hate to put the entire burden of whether or not it works test. out. It, yeah. That's right. I will, I will hate to put Just the entire like burden. Just like Go90 was not a litmus test for Correct, this area. correct. Because um, it didn't work out there. But it doesn't mean, I mean, look, all of the trends are going in this direction. So right. you, you one would think that it needs to be figured out or, and Correct. can be figured out. Um, so I know we like to call winners and losers early, but yeah, it's yeah. a long game. It is a long game. Okay, Jesus, thanks so much. Appreciate it. Thank you. And thank you all for listening. This show is produced by Didi Sangal. Please do tell us what you think. Tweet at me or email me your feedback. I am at bmarisi on Twitter. I am also brian at digiday.com via email. Also, if you could, uh, please do take a moment and rate this podcast and review it. It it helps people find it. Um, And if the review is is cool and fun, we'll read it here. Um, Thanks again for listening. We'll be back next week with a new episode. And thank you to our sponsors, Zaxis. Did you know that 82% of U.S. marketers plan to increase their investment in outcome-driven media in the next 12 to 24 months? Learn why they value outcome-driven media in measuring success, the new report from Zaxis. Visit Zaxis.com right now. That is X-A-X-I-S.com.